0: Well, good morning, Red Hills Church. How are you doing this morning? Good, so good to see you. I know which side of the room I'm preaching to this morning. Um, hey, we want to welcome everyone online. Can we give it up for everyone watching online this morning? We're so glad. That you're with us. Uh, My name is Aaron Hanson. I'm the lead pastor. I am so excited for this morning and uh, what I get to talk about with this uh, series that we're doing. I'm also excited for any of you who are new to our church. Uh, I just want to, one thing that uh, Kate mentioned is we have next steps. And so if you are new, one of the best ways to get connected to know people is to go through next steps on the first and third of every Sunday. You can do that. Um, Just come and and join us in the fireside room right after the gathering. Well, we're going to continue our series called The Five. This is the most audacious title of a sermon series. The five most important decisions that you'll ever make. This is what we've discovered so far. That in your lifetime, you will make one Billion decisions. Most of them you will make out of habit and you don't realize that you're making. But I reduced the one billion decisions that you'll make in your lifetime to the five most important decisions that you'll make. This is why. Because your destination is determined by your decisions. Your destination is determined by your decisions. Your destination is not determined by your intentions or your wishes. Your destination is determined by your decisions that you make in your life. And so this is what we've discovered already. The five most important decisions revolve around five themes. The first one we talked about was family. And the question I asked, or faith, the question I asked of you was this. Will I put my faith and trust in Jesus? The most important decision you'll ever make Is who or what you decide to believe in and put your faith in. All of us put our faith and trust in something. Last week, we discovered the second thing is about our family. And the questions I ask to you is, will I love my kids? Will I honor my parents? Will I sacrifice for my spouse? Today, I want to talk about friends. I want to talk about friends. How many of you, by show of hands, you want more friends? thank you. We'll have a little party afterward with the five of you who raised your hand along with me. You know, it's interesting. Why talk about friends? And what is, does the Bible even talk about friendship? Well, uh, let me give you two reasons of why we're talking about uh, friends. Uh, Because of this, number one, that and most importantly is the Bible does talk about friendship. In fact, a lot of times at our church we talk about connection and relationship really tied to small groups, what we call tribes at our church, and because we want everyone to uh, feel connected. Um, but, But we don't often talk about it in context of friends, and the Bible has a lot to say about friendship. Uh, And uh, Jesus talked about friends. King Solomon talked about friends, which we're going to spend the majority of time in the book of Proverbs. And then there's this example of friendship in the Bible that I want to talk about today. And so friendship is rooted in the Bible. It's rooted in God's plan for humanity. The second reason is this. I was doing the math in my head, trying to figure out the timeline. But I think in the last five or six years, we've discovered, especially in the last two years, we've discovered this. We've discovered who our friends are, and we've discovered who our friends aren't. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some people you thought were your friends are no longer your friends. And some people you didn't realize were going to be your friends now have become your friends. And the reality is this, is I have read some of the, the prayer requests through our church, which gives a good pulse on where people are at, that people are lonely, especially as we entered in 2020 through 2021, if you're not married, you know, you don't have a family, or maybe you live, your family's out of town, that this season has caused a lot of loneliness. And you heard the testimony from Angela just a few weeks ago about her feeling lonely even in this season. And the reality is a lot of people want friends, and a lot of people need friends. And you need friends because the Bible talks about friendship and how important it is to our life. And so this is where I want to go today. That the right friends, and you can write this down, the right friends will help you get to where God wants you to go. The right friends will help you get to where God wants you to go. That is my argument, my theory, my plan, all right, that is the thesis of my sermon today, is that the right people will help you get you to where God wants you to go. In fact, I would say sometimes you won't go go where God wants you to go without the support from your friends. Sometimes your destiny and God's plan for your life is found in the context of your friends. God has wired us for connection and community, and he's wired us For friendships, let me give you an example from my own life. I am here where I am today in my family life, in my spiritual life, in my leadership life, as a result of my friends. I want to talk about two in particular uh, of some very close friends, and I'm going to talk about a lot of my friends today. Uh, I don't have A lot of friends, I have few friends that are really close. Anybody else like that? Uh, And so, uh, two of them that some of you know. The first one is uh, Aaron Rauch. Aaron Rauch is uh, one of my closest friends here in town. When I came here nine years ago, he... uh, uh, was just uh, a friend to me, uh, and uh, and he uh, was so is so loyal, and even on staff, so such an loyal person, and really uh, helped us get as a church where God has called us to be. And me personally, uh, it has been because some for some of it because of him. Another person that you guys know if you've been around for a while is Blake. He was our worship pastor. Now one of my closest friends that uh, I am here our church is where we are today, largely as a result of of Blake and Aaron and a lot of our staff. It's not just me. In fact, I would say very little of it has to do with me. And now I would hope this, I would hope, I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but I would hope that they're at where God wants them to be because of me. Your friends help you get you to where God wants you to go. And if good friends help you get to where God wants you to go, then the reverse is true. Then the wrong friends will keep you from where God wants you to go. The wrong friends will keep you from where God wants you to go. I love what uh, Solomon says in Proverbs 22. He says this, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person, do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Here is the reality about friendship. We begin to reflect the friendships that we have. How, how many of you ever? Hung out with someone, maybe with a, a a different accent, maybe with a southern accent or an English accent, and all of a sudden you start talking like them. Does that ever happen to you? Alright, I'm from the Midwest, and the Midwest has an accent. <laughs> if you didn't know that, there's an accent. And when I go back there, I begin to talk and mirror and imitate the people and my family and how they talk. Here, here's the reality. Uh, one of the greatest discoveries in neuroscience was in the last 20 or 30 years is this um, idea that we have neurons in our brain that are called mirror neurons. And what they do is that you are hardwired to mirror and imitate the people around you. Think, think about a, a baby that's three or four weeks old that you stick your tongue out because we love to stick our tongue out at babies when they're little. And, and what do they do, all right? They begin to stick their tongue back out. Their, their brain is a baby's, a human's, their brain is hardwired to imitate and mimic those people around you. And so you will begin to mirror neurologically in your brain, and even maybe spiritually, physically, the people that you hang out with the most. What is my point? Your friends matter. Paul says it this way. He uses a quote from a first century poet. He plants it in the Bible, and he says this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. A Harvard social psychologist, David McClellan, says this, that your reference group, he's talking about your friend group, the people you hang out with the most, uh, determines as much as 95% of your success or failure in your life, 95%. Now, one thing I love is when science and psychology uh, begin to line up with what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. That, That where you are headed in life and your success in your life and in your relationship with Jesus and the path and destiny he has for you will largely be determined by the people you surround yourself with. And so the people you surround yourself with are really important. And there are two types of friends that you can have. I'm sure there's more, but there's two because I like to reduce things to two. That there are people that propel you forward. They are like engines. And and, and they help you get to where you want to go or where God wants you to go. And then there are people who weigh you down. They're like anchors. They keep you tethered and grounded and keep you from the place where God wants you to go. And so I want to ask you, who are your friends? Are they anchors or are they engines? Look around at them, all right? Not too closely. But my bigger question is this. What kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Are you an anchor or an engine? You know, in our world today, there is a new kind of friendship right? And I, I talked about this five years ago, and it's become even a more important today. Uh, and, and I think that we're starting to catch on through documentaries like The Social Dilemma, but but that we have redefined what friendship actually means. In a digital world, we've redefined friends. Friends become who likes your page or likes your profile, who gives a thumbs up or an emoji on your pictures or your memes of the weird cat thing, you know. Those people have become your friends. And so your friendship is determined by the people who like the things that you put out on content on your social media. And social media has actually created a false set of uh, of friendship. Well, well, why is that? Be- because we live in a culture where you can have 894 friends, but not, not one of them know what you're actually going through. And so culture is redefining friendship, and, and, and I, you know, I said this probably five or six years ago, that the more time we spend online in the digital world, the more lonely we become. And now through the last two years, we spend the majority of our time online which means we need to be intentional about the social relationships and friendships and face-to-face friendships that we have. Maybe it even becomes more important than it was several years ago. Listen, it is the quality of your friendships, not the quantity of your friendships that matter. I think it would be better to have one friend that knows you at the deepest levels of who you are than 20 friends who know you a little bit. Your friends matter in your life. They will help you get to the place where God wants you to go. Robin Williams said this. He said, the worst thing in life uh, is to end up, I used to think the worst thing in life is to end up all alone. He said, it's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. Your friendships matter. The Bible speaks a lot about friendships, but one friendship more than any other in the Bible is the exemplary friendship that we can look at. And it's the friendship uh, as recorded in 1 Samuel 18 through 20. It's the friendship between David, and Jonathan, the friendship between David and Jonathan. And I'm going to read a few passages out of here. I couldn't read the whole thing. It would take all our time this morning. But I just want to give you a synopsis of what happened, and I'll read a few verses. So the setup is this, is that Jonathan is King Saul's son. And King Saul was the first king of Israel and David and Saul kind of began to do things that uh, was against what God wanted him to do and so Samuel the prophet anointed a new king David a shepherd boy the son of Jesse and David goes on to do amazing things Saul was handsome and tall and good looking that's what the Bible says David was short and ruddy but he was a warrior and he was a musician, and he was a poet. I mean, he was an amazing man, and, and he, he decides to go and slay the giant and kill Goliath, and then there's this scene when he comes back that everyone's celebrating David, and Saul is there, and he brings them into, uh, into, the te- into his palace, and he brings them into the inner circle, and, and Jonathan befriends David. This is what the word of God says in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. After David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as much as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan was a prince. He's the son of the king, he's rich. David is a shepherd boy. He is poor. You couldn't be a different. Do- Jonathan is in line for the throne. David is just out killing lions and slaying giants. And Jonathan doesn't look at David as a threat, but he looks at him and he honors him and respects him so much so that he takes off his own clothes, his own princely royal clothes and weapons and begins to give them to David. Now, the story gets interesting and Jonathan has a choice to make. The story gets interesting because David begins to rise in his popularity and influence. And the Israelites had this saying when David and Saul would come back from battle, they'd say, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed 10,000. And Saul got really jealous. And the Bible says this, interesting part of the scripture, says an evil spirit entered Saul and then Saul tried to kill David. He threw a spear at David in in his own room. And so David evaded him. And so now you have this tension in the scripture between David and Saul, David and Jonathan, and Jonathan has a decision to make. Jonathan doesn't think that his dad would actually want to kill David, but David says, your dad is out for me. And so Jonathan says this, well, look, I'll get close to him. And I'll find out the truth. And if he wants to kill you, I'll shoot this arrow. There's this is a long story uh, in the scripture. And if I shoot it past the boy who's, who's going to look for it, then that means my dad wants to kill you. And so he goes to his dad and he's talking to him about David. And Saul says this to Jonathan. He says, as long as David is alive, you and your kingdom will not be established. And so what is Saul saying? He's saying, I'm going to kill David. He's saying to Jonathan, You're never going to be on the throne if David is still alive. Listen, Jonathan is in line for the throne. And Saul is saying, Listen, if we don't take David out, if I don't take David out, my own kingdom is going to be threatened and your kingdom will never be established. And so Jonathan has a choice to make. And thankfully, he chooses the righteousness of God over loyalty to his own family. And he tells David what his dad wants to do to him. And after he tells him, David begins to escape. And this is what he says. Jonathan said to David, go in peace. This is the last time they see each other. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. Their friendship was tested. Well, we know this, that David eventually becomes king when Saul and Jonathan die in battle, and David honors Jonathan's descendants. Jonathan was instrumental in helping David get to where God wanted him to go. David could have betrayed him David could have or Jonathan could have betrayed him Jonathan could have killed him But he chose instead righteousness And because of that David is where he's at In the story So good friends What's my point Good friends will help you get To where God wants you to go And the wrong friends will keep you From where God wants you to go This is what I want to talk about For the remainder of our time I want to talk about the seven traits of a true friend. The seven traits of a true friend. And I, when I talk about these, I, I want us to think of this, not just what kind of friends that I have around me. Because the reality is, is the friends you have around you is a reflection of the kind of friend that you are. And so more importantly is, what kind of friend am I? What kind of person am Am I? Am I a true friend? So, I want to talk about seven traits of a good friend. These are all going to be traits from the book of Proverbs, from King Solomon. Uh, But they're also, we're going to, the last one, we're going to focus on Jesus as he talks about friendship. So, the first one is this a true friend. A true friend is loyal. A true friend is loyal. Proverbs 18:24 says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A true friend is loyal. And what Solomon says is that there are times where friendship is closer than your biological family. Now, some of you are really close with your siblings. You've got a brother or a sister, and you're best friends, and they love the Lord, and it's, it's an amazing relationship that you have. But some of you, you may be the only Christian in your family. Or, or, or some of you may be the only sibling, like the only child in your family. And so your friendship become important, and your friends that influence you Your best friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, should be followers of Jesus. And your Christian friends can be closer than even your own biological family. It's like the story with David and Jonathan. I want to talk about loyalty between me and one of my friends. One of my closest friends on the planet is named Zach. And some of you have been around here for a while. You know Zach was a missionary in Turkey. We went to Bible college together 20 years ago. Uh, And uh, Zach is the reason that Brienne and I, Zach and Laura, are the reason Brienne and I uh, made it to Oregon. They moved up to Oregon. We were in Southern California in 2003. And then we came on vacation in 2004. uh, And we ended up in Oregon. So in June of 2004, we came up into Oregon, and we thought, man, this place is green, and it's sunny, all right? Uh, And in California, it's sunny, but it's brown, all right? And so we thought this was the greatest place on earth until it started raining, and we realized that's why it's so green. (laughs) We came on vacation in June. I think it was over our anniversary, which is the end of June. We moved up two months later. We said, we're coming to this place. We had just both graduated. We put everything and everything we owned at a U-Haul. We came to Oregon. I didn't know anyone in Oregon except Zach and Laura. And Zach works at this church on the other side of the river on the east side of Portland in Gresham. And he got me my first job in ministry as, as a full-time pastor. And here's where the story gets interesting. Zach was on a path to be a missionary. And so when he got me the job, this is at a big church. There were eight youth pastors, full-time youth pastors at this church. That the guy who hired me actually put me over my friend Zach. So the person who got me the job who'd worked there longer all of a sudden started to work for me talk about a test of friendship have you ever been your friend's boss before all right and tried to have a dual relationship it's really really difficult but this speaks volumes to our relationship because Zach never let it affect him and I never let it affect me and I didn't treat him like someone that worked for me and he was loyal to me and, and, and it just meant so much to me. Well, in 2020, I got to return the favor to him. Uh, as many of you know, he got kicked out of Turkey. He got, was at the airport with his family, and as he began to leave his passport got flagged as an enemy of the state for being a Christian pastor in a Muslim country. And so he knew if he left, he'd never be let back in. So his family, they're in the airport. His family goes through security. He decides not to go because they still have all their stuff in in their house. He'd never be let back into the country. Uh, And so he stays behind And his family. And there's tears in the airport. And they're here in America. And he calls me. And uh, the next day, I book a flight to Turkey. And this is like june or july right when the pandemic hit i think i booked the only flights that crossed the atlantic ocean all right and i found myself there listen that's loyalty that's friendship what are you willing to do for your friends when you do things that are loyal to your friends you will have friends for a very long time the second one is this Second one is, is a true friend compliments and doesn't compete. A true friend compliments and doesn't compete. How many of you have a friend or someone in your life that's very competitive with you? All right. (laughs) Uh, True friends compliment you. They actually don't compete with you. Now, it's one thing, it's it's fun, you know, like a healthy competition, but sometimes there can be jealousy, and there can be a a real deep competition uh, to try to do things better than you. There's another friendship in the Bible. They're actually brothers, uh, and it's Moses and Aaron, and their relationship is complementary of one another. You know the story. Moses is called to lead Israel through the Red Sea, out of Egypt, into the land flowing with milk and honey. The problem is, is is he can't talk very well, all right? A lot of people think maybe he stuttered, had a speech impediment. I think he'd been out of Egypt for 40 years, so he didn't speak the native language anymore, and his brother Aaron could speak. And so Aaron spoke while Moses led. Now we know Aaron wasn't a great leader, because when he had a chance to lead, he led them to uh, worship a golden calf. But Moses had the leadership, but Aaron had the talent the speech. And so they complemented one another. They worked together. You see, bad friends, if there is such a thing, because I don't think a friend can be bad, but maybe they're not really your friends, they have unhealthy competition. You know when you have a good friend when they are genuinely happy for your successes in your life. And they genuinely grieve in your failures in your life. I want to talk about another one of my friends. His name's Andy. We, he was my first roommate in college. And we couldn't be different. He was from Pacific Northwest. I was from the Midwest. And he kind of came wearing this like, like leather belt with studs on it. And he was kind of this punk rock. And I was wearing all Gap and American Eagle. And... Um, <laughs> And we were so different from each other, but we grew through playing music together. He played bass, and I played guitar, and we began to play music together. But he's become one of my closest friends, and our call into ministry, and our, our, our path has has mirrored each other as a youth pastor, and, uh, and now as a lead pastor. And five years ago, he moved to Southwest Portland in Pastor's an amazing, a thriving church in Southwest Portland, which is one of the hardest places to pastor a church right now. Uh, and we meet every once in a while, and, and we can talk about our successes without anyone feeling jealous, and we can talk about our failures, and have genuine empathy and sympathy for one another. You see, the, the thing is, is pastors are a lot like other people. You go to a pastor's conference, right? You go to your work conference, and people start bragging about how big their church is, how many people are there, how many, you know, we're growing and doing all this stuff. But you can have true friends and tell your true failures and your successes, and you can have people genuinely interested in them and celebrate with you. A true friend compliments doesn't compete. I love what the Proverbs 13 20, it says this, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Here's the third one. A true friend gives good advice. A true friend gives good advice. Proverbs 12 says this, the godly give good advice to their friends and the wicked lead them astray. Let me ask you, what kind of advice are you receiving? And what kind of advice are you giving? See, good advice, what am I talking about? What do I think Proverbs is talking about? I'm, talk- I'm talking about good advice is the one that leads you closer to Jesus. Bad advice is the one that leads you away from Jesus. And good advice doesn't always make you feel good, but good advice is the right thing. Are you with me? We live in an environment where someone challenges you, you it's easy for you to say, I'm done, I'm gone. I don't go here anymore. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. We're not friends anymore. True friends give good advice. And sometimes that good advice doesn't always feel good. But it is good. It is good. And it helps you. I've had a lot of people in my life give me advice that I didn't want to hear. But it helped me. It helped me. Here's the fourth one. A true friend gives as much as they receive. A true friend gives as much as they receive. Proverbs 27 says this, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Friendship is never one-sided. There may be seasons A friendship where you give more than other seasons or you take more than other seasons. But you've got to understand it's a season. Friends give and receive. If you're the only one receiving and you have a friendship that you're only receiving, maybe it's time that you think, how can I give to this person? How can I be a true friend to this person? It's never one-sided. And when you spend time with a true friend, a true friend does not make you feel drained in life. A true friend brings refreshment. You know the people that make you feel drained in life that you're friends with? You know what we call that? We call that ministry, right? We call that service. We call that, and everyone should have friends like that. It should. You should be Christ-like to people like that, love and pour into them. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that you let into your inner circle. If your life is as, a, as concentric circles and you have fr- relationships, it's the, the circles that are closest to your heart and closest to who you are you are, that you allow to influence you in your life. Several years ago, uh, I have a friend who pastors another church, or did pastor at the time, a church in southeast Portland. And uh, it was a church plant at the time, and they were growing, and they were looking at a building, and he called me and said, Aaron, would you be willing to, uh, to support our church in helping us buy this building? We talked to our council, absolutely. The next day, we wrote him a $10,000 check. Uh, Here you go, like, like, and he reached out to a bunch of churches, and, um, and, and then the, it was about a week later. His name's AJ. And it was about a week later, I said, hey, AJ, you want to come speak to my church? And I wrote him this email. And then after I sent it, uh, I think it was like two hours later, I thought, you know what? I don't want him to feel pressured to come speak just because I, we gave him $10,000. Like I, I wanted to relieve him of that pressure and so I emailed them back and I said hey just so you know there's no strings attached to the gift that we gave I don't want you to feel pressure to come and speak because we gave you that gift he he emails me back one line he says Aaron comma friends have strings I thought you're right friends do have strings sometimes we do things for each other even if we don't want to That's what it means to be a good friend. That's what it means to be loyal. That's what it means to give and receive. Let's move on to the fifth trait of a true friend. A true friend makes you a better person. A true friend makes you a better person. This verse in Proverbs 27, you know this very well, this verse is read about every men's conference that will ever be in the church. (laughs) As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. By the way, it's not just talking about men. It's talking about women as well. All right? Now, women, I know you don't want to be compared to iron. (laughs) But the point is this, that we are in a battle. And we are in a spiritual battle. And you are a weapon of the Lord. You are a warrior of the Lord. And the friends that you hang out with you sharpen you to do battle for the Lord. You are in a spiritual battle. Listen, some of the things that you're facing in life, you are in a deep, dark, spiritual battle. And you are not designed to go through that battle alone. You are designed to go through that with your church family, with friends, and they help sharpen you for that battle. A true friend makes you a better person. I'll tell you another story about my friend Zach. We were both from the Midwest. He's from Indiana. I'm from Illinois and uh, Iowa. And he, we drove back 34 hours from Los Angeles. Uh, and, uh, you know, only my friend Zach would do this. You know, I wanted to listen to, like, you know, 90s music, let's just kind of crank it. That's, you know, that was my era in high school. And he wanted to memorize the Bible. And so for 34 hours, we memorized the book of James together. What 21-year-old does that, all right? But you know what is interesting? Those verses come to me all the time. If you ever read James, it's one of the most practical books in the, in the New Testament on living a life for Jesus. A true friend actually makes you better. Let me go to the sixth one. A true friend speaks truth and love. A true friend speaks truth and love. Proverbs 27, five through six says this. If you haven't guessed it yet, Proverbs is the book on friendship. An open rebuke is better than a hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. How do you know you have a true friend in your life? If they're willing to come tell you privately what, what you did wrong or correct you. I, I, I have a principle that I live by in life. And I live by this with the people that I am surrounded with, our staff and my family, is always this, is that you praise publicly, but you critique privately that you will never find me talking bad about anyone, our staff, a former staff person, a person in the church publicly. You will never, I will always give honor, recognition, and praise, but if something needs to be addressed, you do it in private. Listen, we have lost the art of good communication with our friends, haven't we? It's so easy for us to post things instead of just writing a private message. right, because we want everyone to read it, if we're honest. A true friend speaks truth and love, but they do it in an honoring way, not in the public arena, but in a private way. Oscar Wilde once said, a true friend stabs you in the front. Listen, whenever you have critique, whenever you have critique, it always hurts. Am I Right? Am I the only one that gets sensitive about stuff like that? (laughs) All right? And sometimes the critique from people closer to you hurts you more. But what hurts you even more is if they critique you not to your face but to someone else. So a true friend tells you what you need to hear to your face, face to face, not telling other people. Let me get to the seventh one. Is this and we're going to bring this back to Jesus, is that a true friend follows the example of Jesus. A true friend follows the example of Jesus. Jesus said this in John 15, 13. He said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Friends, you will truly know who your friends are if they sacrifice for you. And Jesus does something incredible in John chapter 15. Is that he begins to talk to the disciples as friends. Just a few verses later, he says this to the disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants, Because a servant doesn't know their master business, I now call you friend. Now this is a watershed moment for me that happened a couple months ago. I've told you this before, that I meet with a spiritual director. He's a follower of Jesus. It's kind of a mix between a pastor and a counselor. And I was just telling him about the challenges and trials of you face as a pastor and the weight that you carry and all these things. And, and he said to me, and he asked me one question, he's just so good at this. He goes, he goes, Aaron, what do you think it was like for the disciples when Jesus called them friends? I said, well, it would be like doing, going from doing stuff for you to doing stuff with you. And I had realized even in my own life that I had been doing stuff for Jesus as a servant of Jesus, but there's a difference between that because then you carry a lot of weight than doing things with Jesus. The one who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that literally shares the yoke and the burden. Now just just think about this concept that Jesus as your Lord and Savior is, is an example of what it means to be a great friend. You know, we talked about last week that Jesus is an example of what it means to be a husband and a wife, and he's an example of what it means to be a friend. I mean, he he laid his life down. He did the ultimate thing that a friend should do, to sacrifice for one another. And so our friendship flows from our relationship with Jesus. When we know Jesus and we know his sacrifice, and we are friends with him, we can become better friends. And so the decision number three that I wanna leave you with today is this. Will I be a true friend? Will I be a true friend? If you want true friends, you need to be a true friend. So let me give you four quick things as we close today. What do I do? Some of you are like, I want better friends. And you won't say that out loud because you're sitting with some friends. (laughs) Or maybe you are with friends and you're gonna talk afterward. How can we be better friends? Uh, Maybe some of you don't have friends. Let me tell you four things to do. The first thing to do is this, is pray. Pray. I remember several seasons in my life moving to a new place in a new area, praying for friends. Lord, I need somebody. I remember one time in particular when Zach moved to Turkey and And I was there. He was my only friend. (laughs) I had to pray. God, would you reveal people that I can be friends with? The second thing is this, to decide the kind of friend that you wanna be. And decide the kind of people you want around you. The people who are dragging you into sin and away from God or the people who are propelling you forward towards Jesus. If you have people that are dragging you down, it's either time to Make new friends and let them become ministry <laughs> or talk to them about them becoming true friends. The Third thing is to look, to begin to look around you. Begin to get involved and connect with people. And the fourth thing is to initiate. Just talk to people. You know, the most awkward thing to say in the world is, will you be my friend? <laughs> but it could be a phone call, it could be coffee, it could be, let's just hang out together, let's talk about Jesus, let's talk about life, let's talk about being real with one another. If you want a true friend, you've gotta be a true friend. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you bow your heads as I pray? We're gonna close in a song of worship. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross and show us friendship to show a sacrifice. And God, I pray that as we draw close to you, even in this moment, that we can become better friends, better people, better followers, Lord. And God, I pray for anyone in this place that's lonely. Maybe they have the most friends or perceived friends, but they still feel lonely. God, I pray. And if that's you, just receive this word right now. God, that your spirit would fall in their life and fall in their minds and fall in their heart and fill them with your love and your grace and your comfort. Fill them with your peace in this moment. Thank you, God, for all that you are and all that you are making us. We love you in your name. And everyone said,